God to speak. Washing my eyes to see your majesty. We sing the little chorus uh, quite often to even open our service. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. And, and I pray that, that, that we have come today to hear from the Lord and to learn from him and to draw closer to him. Uh, let's go back to the Old Testament, 1 Kings. Uh, we're we're going to get to the 19th chapter. I want to just read a couple verses from uh, the 18th chapter this morning. Uh, you know, last week, uh, we, we saw the prophet Elijah, and he stood firm upon Mount Carmel. He stood against 450 prophets of Baal. And uh, last Sunday, we saw Elijah at his best. We saw him as a man of prayer, uh, verses 36 and 37 in 1 Kings 18. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. That's a prayer. That's a, that's a preacher's prayer. <laughs> Hear me, Lord, that this people may know that you are the Lord God. See, see that's my prayer for you that you would know all the more that he is God, and that he is good all the time. And, and this, this prayer of Elijah was not for himself. This was not a selfish prayer. This was a, a prayer for the glory of God to be known, you see. Now, this was Elijah. In, in verse 42, we, we see this man of prayer being a man of humility as he falls on the ground before the Lord, puts his face between his knees, and he cries out. <coughs> 42, for Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. Then he bowed on the ground and put his face between his knees, and he's praying and he's pleading for the Lord that this drought would come to an end, that the clouds would roll in. Then in verse 46, we, we see a man clothed in the power of the Lord with physical strength to, to run ahead of Ahab's chariot all the way back to Jezreel. Uh, many, many say this was a distance of some perhaps 15 miles. Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah and he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. So in chapter 18, Elijah, it seems, at his best. And then today we come to chapter 19 and the story takes a turn, doesn't it? But let's read the first four verses. Chapter 19. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, 
So let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, uh, the ESV says, then he was afraid. NASV says, and he, was, and he was afraid. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life. For I am no better than my father. So Heavenly Father, as we come to your word today, I'll speak to us, Lord. Help us to learn from this lesson of Elijah. Help us to see you and how you work in, in so many varied ways, Lord, and how you never give up on us. So Lord, help us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. See, Elijah had witnessed and, and been a part of a great victory, a tremendous victory, defeated prophets of Baal, saw the power of God at work. Now, here, we left him off there in verse 18. He is running ahead of Ahab's chariot back to Jezreel, back to uh, king's palace. I, I'm not sure it was a palace, whatever it was, uh, where, where the king was living. And here I get thinking, and, and perhaps you let your mind think a little bit. What do you believe Elijah was thinking as he's running ahead? Uh, perhaps he's thinking, all right, Ahab has witnessed the power of God. And, and perhaps now Israel will get their house in order. I can't help but believe that's what he's thinking. And and perhaps he's thinking Ahab's going to go back and he's going to tell Jezebel what the Lord has done. He's going to make her fall in line and everything is going to be the way it should. Now, I don't know that for sure, but in my mind, I can't help but think that's what he's thinking after seeing this wonderful victory. But is that what happened? Because here, let me ask you this question. See, Jezebel didn't go to Carmel, did she? She's back, and I'm going to say palace. She's back at the palace. Well, what was she thinking? You ever go there? What was she thinking? What, what was she going through? Because she didn't know what was happening. She just knows that, and Elijah's called us out. And I'm sure she's got confidence in her 450 prophets of Baal. And she doesn't know anything that's transpired. Here's what she knows. She knows the clouds have rolled in and the black clouds have come up and it's raining to beat the band. That's what she knows. And, and, and in my mind, I'm thinking, she's thinking, my guys prevailed. Now, I didn't come across this book until late last night. I wish I'd have had it two weeks ago. A.W. Pink wrote a little book about Elijah. Have you ever read that? I didn't know about it. If, I, if I'd have known about this, this, this might have been a series of eight. Uh, Dave said last week that there could be a multitude of, 
of sermons from Elijah, and after reading Pink, I can thoroughly see that. I want to read A.W. Pink. Just just listen. The day must have been a long and trying one for Jezebel. For many hours had passed since her husband Ahab had gone forth to meet Elijah at Carmel. The command that Elijah had had, or the command that Ahab had received from Jehovah's servant Elijah to gather all Israel together unto the mount and the prophets of Baal as well intimated that the crisis had been reached. Now, Pink's, you know, it, this, the, the language is maybe not quite what we would use today. I had to kind of look that intimated. What, but let's keep going. She would therefore be most anxious to know how things had gone. Doubtless, she cherished the hope that her priest had triumphed. And as the rain clouds blotted out the sky, would attribute the welcome change to some grand intervention of Baal in response to their supplication. If so, all is well. Her heart's desire would be realized. Her scheming crowned with success. The undecided Israelites would be won over to her adulterous regime and the last vestiges of the worship of Jehovah should be stamped out. For the troublesome famine, Elijah was was solely to blame. For the ending thereof, she and her gods should have the credit. Probably such thoughts as these occupied her mind in the interval of waiting. And now the suspense is over. (laughs) The king has arrived and hastens to make report to her. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets by the sword. (laughs) The first thing which strikes us about these words is their noticeable omission. The Lord himself was left out entirely. Did you catch that as we read it? Nothing is said of the wonders he had wrought that day, how he had not only caused fire to come down from heaven and consume the sacrifice and even the very stones of the altar and how it had licked up great quantities of water in the trench around it and how in response to the prayer of his servant, rain was sent in abundance. No, God has no place in the thoughts of the wicked. Think about that. Is that true today? God has no place in the thoughts of the wicked. Rather, do they put forth their utmost efforts to banish him from their minds. And that speaks today, doesn't it? God has no place in the thoughts of the wicked. Rather, do they put forth their utmost efforts to banish him from their minds. Thus it was with Ahab. First he ascribed the drought and famine to the prophet. Is that you, O troubler of Israel? Remember what he said? Instead of perceiving that it was the Lord who had a controversy with the guilty nation and that he was the one mainly responsible for this condition, and now he is still occupied with what Elijah had done. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. He would relate how Elijah had mocked their priest. Can you imagine the story he probably told? He would relate how Elijah had mocked their priests, lashed them with his biting irony, 
and held them up to the scorn of the people. He would describe how he had put them to confusion by his challenge and how as if by some spell or claim had brought down fire from heaven. <laughs> by some spell, yeah. He would enlarge upon the victory gained by the Tishbite of the ecstasy of the people thereon, how they had fallen on their faces saying, Jehovah, he is God. Jehovah, he is God. He had recounted these things unto Jezebel not to convince her of her error, but rather to incense her against God's servant is clear from his design climax of how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. See in there, he, he didn't go back with a word of God to tell about the greatness of the, the one true God. No, he's going back. See, as he's going back, he's thinking, oh, she's going to be mad. That's what he's thinking. I'm going to tell her and I'm going to turn her loose. So I, I believe that's what he's thinking. Be, because God has no place in the thoughts of the wicked, you see. Didn't cross his mind, I don't think. Let me go back to Pink. How this revealed once more what an awful character Ahab was as the protracted drought with the resultant famine had not turned him unto the Lord, so this divine mercy of sending the rain to refresh his dominion led him not to repentance. Now listen, listen. Neither divine judgments nor divine blessings will of themselves reclaim the unregenerate. Nothing but a miracle of sovereign grace can turn souls from the power of sin and Satan unto the living God. Don't you like pink? Man. Neither divine judgments nor divine blessings will of themselves reclaim the unregenerate Nothing but a miracle of sovereign grace can turn souls from the power of sin and Satan unto the living God. And that's true. Oh, we can have examples of the mighty power of God and the things that he has wrought, the miracles of the Old Testament, the miracles of Christ in the New Testament. But all it, it takes a miracle of grace for, for those miracles to point to the living God, doesn't it? And that was the end of my quote there from Pink. I thought that was so good, I just had to read it. I wasn't going to try to paraphrase what he'd said. He'd said it so well. So Ahab and Jezebel's hearts are not turned to God. Jezebel's enraged. She sends the message. So let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them, one of those prophets of Baal that he killed by tomorrow about this time. So what she's saying, by this time tomorrow, Elijah, you're going to be dead. Now, <laughs> she made a tactical error, didn't she? Why didn't she just send soldiers, go kill him now? See, my mind kind of thought of that. Why, why go tell him? And, and perhaps it was this. Perhaps she thought, okay, this guy just stood up to 450 prophets. He, he did all these things. She probably thought, there's no way this guy's running. And she's probably thinking that he's going to take a stand even firmer 
and so that her victory will be all the greater. Perhaps it was just a pride thing with her that she did what she did. No, go, go tell him. <laughs> she, she didn't know that Elijah was going to turn tail and run. And that's how Elijah received the message. Does he stand and wait for the Lord? No. Is he waiting for the word of the Lord to come to him as it had before? No. Instead of trusting and waiting on the Lord, he takes matters into his own hands. He acts upon a hasty impulse. Do we ever do that? I've done that. Act upon a hasty impulse. We get a, we get a, a message. We get news of something that's happened and, and we respond in impulse instead of trusting God. Instead of trusting and waiting on God, he takes matters into his own hands and he flees. It says he arose and ran for his life. He was afraid. See, Je Jezebel's threats <laughs> totally upended him, totally consumed him, totally overwhelmed his faith. In, in Elijah 18, or in, in chapter 18 of, of 1 Kings, Elijah expressed his bravery by standing against 450 prophets of Baal, but now in chapter 19, he declares his cowardice not before hundreds, but before one woman. In his fear, he panics. He loses sight of the power and provision of God that he had just experienced in such a mighty way. Just hours early, he'd been riding a wave of victory, and now he is knocked flat and headed into an emotional tailspin. For this moment, Elijah's faith was replaced with fear. See, I, you know, I read when, when I read that verse, uh, and when he saw that, you know, that's how the the uh, King James and the New King James version had that had that verse three. And when he saw that, you know, the the NSB and the ESV changed it to he was afraid. But but I like that when he saw that because. You see, his eyes were fixed on the wicked queen. His mind was occupied with her power and fury, and therefore his heart was filled with fear. He saw that, and then he quit walking by faith and began walking by what sight he saw that. See, I like it because that puts that together for me. Because as a child of God, we're, walked, we're to walk by Faith, not by sight. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. Walk by faith, not by sight. See, we stand by faith. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 24. You know, Paul reminded the believers, Corinth, you know, not that we have dominion over your faith, but our fellow workers for you, for by faith you stand. By faith you stand. The day before, or, or, or earlier that day, Elijah stood by faith in Almighty God. But now, no. His faith has succumbed to fear. And faith in God is the only deliverer for carnal fear. 
I think that's true. Faith in God is the only deliverer from carnal fear. Isaiah 12.2 Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For Yah, the Lord, is my strength and song. He also has become my salvation. And we sang the song this morning. The Lord is my salvation. So that's where it comes from. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For Yah, the Lord, is my strength and song. He also has become my salvation. In Isaiah 26, verses 3 and 4. You, God, you will keep him. That's me. That's you. You will keep him in perfect peace. Whose mind is far from you? No. Whose mind is fixed, stayed on you. Because he, because we, trust in you, God. Trust in the Lord forever, for in Yah the Lord is everlasting strength. It's the Lord. Walk, walking by sight only magnifies the circumstance that we are facing. When Peter got out of the boat to walk on the water to go out to Jesus, what, 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 was, the, what was the event that caused him to sink? What he saw. What he saw, what he saw. Matthew 14, verse 30, 31. But when he saw, when Peter, you see, before what had he seen? He saw Christ. He saw Christ walking on the water. He saw Christ and he was emboldened. Oh, bid me that I can come. And by faith he got out and by faith <laughs> Peter was walking on water until he saw and at that moment, fear replaced his faith. But when he saw, when Peter saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. When, I, when Elijah heard the news from Jezebel, where does faith go? He was afraid. Peter was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now how often in my life <laughs> could I have said that? And how many more times in my life will these words be appropriate for me? And how about for you? There are times in your life when, when this that little sentence is appropriate for you? Oh, you of little faith? Why did you doubt? Have you ever doubted the Lord? You had a, ever had a situation of life come along and you thought this is too big for God? I can't trust God with this. I, I, and, and you fall into depression and dis, despair? Oh, you of little faith. Don't doubt the Lord. Why do we ever doubt? Why do we ever sink into despair? Because we take our eyes off of Jesus and turn them to the circumstance. I bet I've said that a thousand times from this pulpit. How many times do we have examples of that very thing in the Word of God? It's over and over and over, isn't it? For a moment, take your eyes off of Him and put it to things below when we are to turn our eyes to Jesus 
and the things of earth, the circumstances of life will grow, I love that lyric, strangely dim. They will fade from view in light of his glory and grace. <laughs> so here's Elijah. He's taking his eyes off the Lord. And you may be thinking, how, did, how could he do that? Well, all I got to do is look at myself, and I know exactly how. And then probably you can look at yourself and you can say, yeah, 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 I know, I, I understand. And what's he do? He runs to Beersheba, which is about 100 miles south of Jezreel. This is going to take a while. This, this gets him about as far south as you can go and still be in the land of promise, you see. He, he is down there. It, and I don't know if you caught it, and it doesn't say here, but here, I'll tell you. Who's the king of this territory that he's going to? Jehoshaphat. Now, we've preached about him in the past. Who had Jehoshaphat's son married? A daughter of, guess who? Ahab. So do you, do you think that Elijah's going to be safe in this territory? If if Jehoshaphat gets word from Ahab, because there's a connection there, no, he's going to turn him in. He's going to send him back. He's going to grab him. And I don't know if that if that's the reason, because in the reading, Elijah left his servant there. He'd still had a servant that was with him and following him and being a part of his, his ministry or to, to help. Well, he left him there in the city. And what did it say? Where did he go? Where did Elijah go? He went another day's journey into the wilderness. So he's running in fear of his life. He is running from a problem that he's conjured up in his mind. Oh, yeah, I know he's gotten a threat, but don't forget the power of God. You see, don't forget the power of God. He allows fear to dictate his actions, and, and he flees. He doesn't pray. He doesn't seek the Lord in any way. He runs. He runs to Beersheba. He drops off his servant. He goes out into the wilderness. He's in hiding. Finally, Elijah prays, verse 4, chapter 19. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he prayed that he might die and said, It is enough. Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. And remember the prayer he prayed in, <laughs> in chapter 18? Hear me, O Lord, hear me, O Lord, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. And now he's praying, Lord, just take my life. See, the first prayer was God-centered. God, make yourself known to this people. The second prayer is self-centered. Lord, I've had enough. This is it. Just get me out of here. Take my life. And I want you to see and I want you to understand, he doesn't take his own life, does he? he, he he's saying, Lord, Lord, take my life. He, he, he has turned inward. He's gone into solitude. He's removed himself from other people. He's having a pity party. How quickly the mighty prophet has fallen. Lord, take my life. Has, has there been other great men of God that prayed that same prayer? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, how about Moses? Numbers 11, verses 14 and 15. Remember this? This is Moses. I'm not able to bear all these people alone because the burden is too heavy for me. Moses was having a pity party, wasn't he? If you treat me like this, please kill me here and now. If I have found favor in your sight and do not let me see my wretchedness. Lord, just, he, he said, that's almost the same prayer. Lord, just take me out of here. How about Jonah? Jonah, fourth chapter, third verse. Therefore now, O Lord, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. So here's Jonah with the same prayer. Lord, I've had enough. Get me out of here. For it is better for me to die than to live. Now, the Apostle Paul kind of said the same thing, didn't he? In, in Philippians, uh, for, for me to, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. So, so Paul understood that, but this is, <laughs> that's not what Jonah was getting at. He just had enough, and he's saying, get me out of here. So the Lord has given us examples in Scripture of the frailty of men. Now here, consider this. You can go to, to a library, you can go to a bookstore, you can look probably at the bestseller shelves and find autobiographies of people. And, and human biographers tend to leave out, tend to, depending on if they've got an ax to grind or not, tend to leave out a lot of the bad things and focus on the good parts of someone's life. So if a human autobiographer was going to tell the story of Elijah, he would tell chapter 18, skip over 19, take it right into 20. If a human biographer was going to tell of Noah the ark, he would leave out Noah's dreadful drunkenness. Remember that story? He'd probably leave that out. You know, a human biographer may have skipped over David's adultery with Bathsheba. A human biographer might have skipped over Peter's dreadful denial. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? But the scripture gives us all. The good, the bad, the ugly, the warts, and all. All of the successes, all of the failures, all of the ups and downs. Why? I believe so that we might see them and see it as a mirror of our own lives, that, that these examples might be a warning for us, an example of things to do, an example of things not to do. You see, all of these things that were written are, are for our benefit and for God's glory. You see. Let's look at what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 11 through 13. Now all these things happened to them as examples and they were written for our admonition, our warning, you see. Our warning, our uh, caution. Uh, for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. Don't, don't read the story of, of Elijah or Jonah or or Peter's fall, or any of those, and go, I'd never do that. that. That wouldn't be me. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. 
And look what follows. No temptation has overtaken you except as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Now, now so often we think of temptation as temptation to sexual sin or temptation to lust and greed and, and uh, uh, to, to the, the deeds of the flesh type of stuff. But temptation, we can also be tempted to worry. We can be tempted to fear. We can be tempted to fall into anxiety. That, that, that is just as much a temptation as any of the others, you see. So perhaps, perhaps there may be one here today or one listening to the sermon who, who feels like your life's out of control, that, that you were Elijah, you were uh, Moses was, you were Jonah was, and, and, and you're saying, I've had enough. I've had enough because you're under attack and you're running and you found a broom tree and you're sitting under it dazed and confused. You're crying out to the Lord, just, just get me out of here. Well, if that's you, don't lose heart. Don't give up hope because God will never leave you nor forsake you, amen? Did God give up on Elijah? No, no. Let's read a little bit further. Uh, chapter 19, verses 5 through 8. Then as he, then as Elijah lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat because the journey is too great for you. So he rose and ate and drank and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Hora, the mountain of God. He lies down. He goes to sleep. Remember, he goes to sleep praying, Lord, I want to die. Take me out of here. And he wakes up and there's an angel. And perhaps he's thinking, I'm in heaven. You know, I, I don't know. I, no, doubtful, but, but it, it, that just seemed too, too much for me. He's praying, Lord, take me out of here. He goes to sleep and then he wakes up and there's an angel. Take my life. Lord, take my life. Now, for some of you, I know this has already hit you. God doesn't take his life here or ever. You remember that? Elijah was one of those ones who never saw death on this planet. He was taken up. <laughs> Doesn't that catch you? He, he is praying, God, take my life. And it's almost like, ha, I ain't ever taken your life. I'll show you. I'll show you. My power and my glory, you see. He's asleep. He wakes up. The Lord, God provides, even in Elijah's fear, in his disobedience, God provides. He ate and drank and lay back down and rested the second time, rise and eat. And, and he said, but this time there's more to the story because he says, the journey is too great for you. And perhaps Elijah's thinking, what journey? And, and, and we know that He's about to embark on a 40-day journey. And where's he going? Mount Horeb, 
also known as Mount Sinai, same mountain. What happened there? Ten Commandments. It's the same mountain. It depends on who you talk about it. It's like if you're talking about this side, it's Horeb. If you're talking about that side, it's, it's Sinai. It's the same mountain. And so here he is. Uh, he's gone. Uh, it's 40 days and he's going. Verses 9 and 10. Because he went in the strength of that food 40 days and nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. Uh, verse 9. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? <laughs> so he said, so Elijah said, Man, here he goes with the focus on him, right? I, 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 poor, poor, pitiful me. I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. What are you doing here, Elijah? <laughs> See, God's not asking because he needs the information, but he's asking because he's trying to provoke an answer. See, the correct response might have been this. Oh, God, I'm here because I was afraid. God, I'm here because I didn't trust you. God, I'm here because I looked at my problem instead of looking to you and, and I ran. So God, please forgive me. See, that, that would have been the right answer, wouldn't it? But what response does he get? I've been working hard for you, Lord. Everybody else has turned away. That, that, they, they've even killed the rest of your prophets. I'm all alone. They're trying to kill me. Elijah, why are you here? It's all their fault. Pointing, pointing everywhere but here. Perhaps, you know, that it caused me to have to reflect. And perhaps for some of you sitting here today, you need to reflect as well, asking yourself, why are you in the place you are spiritually right now? Because perhaps you're thinking you're all alone. Perhaps you're thinking the Lord has forsaken you. Perhaps you have run from the Lord and, and you need to be asked the question, why are you here? Why are you in this place? Why are you there instead of in the presence of God pouring out your heart to Him? See, God speaks to Elijah. Let's go 11 through 13. Let's keep going. Then, then he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And, uh, let me pause here a minute. What had happened on this mountain before? <laughs> Remember when this mountain was just consumed with smoke and fire and the presence of God. You know, it's almost like a, a, a rekindling of that same story, isn't it? The, 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 the rocks in pieces and, and the wind and the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave, 
Suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? <laughs> is, is, is God trying to get his attention? He, he practically shook the mountain down. But then a still, small voice out of all of the wind, the earthquake, the fire, a whisper comes. And what did the whisper of the Lord ask? The same question. What are you doing here, Elijah? As he learned his lesson. Now, verses 14 through 19. Here we go again. He gets asked, what are you doing here? And here he goes. And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, tore down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, anoint Haziel as king over Syria. Also you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel, and Je and Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel, Maholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Haziel, Jehu, will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha, will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So he, so Elijah, departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him, and he was with the 12th. Then Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him. What are you doing here, Elijah? I've been zealous for the Lord. They've killed <laughs> Here he goes again. But this time, it's as, as though the Lord says, enough. I want to hear your whining anymore. Get up and go and do what I'm telling you to do. God tells Elijah, I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all, who have, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal. <laughs> Don't you think that Elijah probably went, oh, oh, well, I, I, I didn't know that. No, you didn't. You see, God's work will never fail. It will never be thwarted, even when his servants fail. May we listen to God, his still small voice, and then trust and obey you see, Elijah needed to get his eyes off of himself so that he could once again see the Lord through eyes of faith. And perhaps there's some of us this morning, we need to get our eyes off of our situation of life and get our eyes back on the Lord. Remember one of the taunts of Elijah to the prophets of Baal as they worked themselves into this big frenzy? Hey, hey, maybe uh, cry a little louder. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe your God's asleep. You need to wake him up. We need to wake him up. But the one true God, 
The one true God never sleeps. He always sees. He's always there. He always hears. He never slumbers nor sleeps. He's always available, a very present help in time of trouble. See, that's our God. He's always there, always available. Uh, uh, Psalms 46, first three verses. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Why? Why won't we fear? Because God is our refuge and strength, and he's a very present help in trouble. So therefore, put yourself in the verse, I will not fear. Even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, Selah. See, we need to purpose in our heart that we will not fear because for my Savior loves me so and he will hold me fast. You see, he will hold me fast. Child of God, he will hold you fast. He will never let you go. He will never see you, your soul, be lost. He is my refuge and strength. He will not allow my foot to stumble. He will hold me fast. He who keeps you will not slumber. That, that, this was from, let's read it again. Uh, Psalms 121. We read this. This was the sermon three weeks ago, but let's be reminded of it. First, the, 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 just the entire chapter, eight verses. I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence comes my help? My help comes where? From the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the noon, moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you. Same word, keep you from all evil. He shall preserve you. Again, same word, keep. Preserve your soul, keep your soul. The Lord shall, again, same word, preserve, keep. You're going out and you're coming in from this time forth and forevermore. He keeps you. Child of God, he keeps you. He will hold you fast. He keeps you. Again, we talked about that a few weeks ago. He will put a hedge about you. He will guard you. He will protect you. He will attend to you. Does this mean that we'll never have tough times? Does this mean that we'll never have a trial? That we'll never have persecution? That all will be smooth sailing? Is that, is that what that means? No. Not what it means, but it means that in the midst of the storm, that in, in the midst of being down in the valley, that he will be with us. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. Because we know that tough times will come, but the Lord is able to keep us forevermore. I'm going to read some verses. We read these quite often, but I just want to read them again. 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13. Now stay with me. Let, let the word of God speak. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing has happened to you. Oh, I can't believe this happened. I can't believe this happened. 
No, don't think it's strange. But do what? But do what? But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Listen to what Jesus said in, in Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, verses 10 and 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Was Elijah persecuted? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. John, 15th chapter, verses 18 through 21. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. This is Jesus talking. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Now, what's it saying? <laughs> it seems to be saying if we're not persecuted, perhaps we're not being the witness that we're called to be on this earth. That's what I get from that. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet, because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. <laughs> Should we be surprised when persecution may come because of our stand for Christ? Jesus told us over and over and over again. They will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also, but all these things they will do to you for my name's sake because they do not know him who sent me. They don't know the Lord. That's Why are we persecuted? Because the persecutor doesn't know the Lord. We should have compassion. Paul said in 2 Timothy 3, verses 10 through 12, but you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me in, at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what per per persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Think of, the, think, think of the, all that the Apostle Paul went through, through, and yet he could say, out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer what? Persecution. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And again, I don't tell you these things or read these things to you so that you'll tremble in fear of what may be coming, but know that you could purpose of heart and go in the strength of the Lord. Do you see that? James 2 and uh, chapter 1, 2 and 3. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, perseverance. Go a little further, chapter 5, verse 10 in James. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering 
and patience. The Lord didn't give up on them. The Lord didn't give up on Elijah. May we hold fast to, to that, that hope and that promise that he will hold us fast in Hebrews 10, verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Amen? He who promised is faithful. All the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the, the, the lessons that we learn in the valley when we're going through persecution and trial, the lessons that we learn are lessons that we can never learn on the mountaintop. Understand that. The lessons you will learn in going through the valley experience is lessons that you could never learn if you were just up on the mountaintop. God takes his children in the valleys to teach us in those trials things that we could never learn on the mountaintop. And our lives are a series of ups and downs. Mountaintop, valley. Mountaintop, valley. <laughs> What's a Christian comedian? He did that thing of... He's promised abundant life, and it's and, and he, he he went with Mark Lowry. Yeah, we have abundant life, abundant ups, abundant downs, abundant life, and, and it's much you can. I want to read one more section of scripture, maybe two more. It, 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 I liken it to, to Psalms 107. Remember where in Psalms 107 it talked about the sailors that are out on the sea. This is our life. This is our life. So let's go and let's let's read this. Those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. See, they're out on this ocean and the waves and they're up and down and see the power of God and the marvel of his creation. For he commands and raises the stormy wind which lifts up the waves of the sea. They mount up to the heavens upon the peak of the, the wave and they go down to the depths, down in the, the, in the trough. That their soul melts because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. They're in the storm. Up and down. Verse 28. Then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble and he brings them out of their distress. He calms the storm so that its waves are still. Then they are glad because they are quiet. So he guides them to their desired haven Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. <laughs> Ups and downs. And I know that's been every one of us. When the sun's shining down on me and the world's all as it should be. And then other times when the road's marked with suffering and there's pain. In the offering, but may we all learn to say in the midst of whatever comes our way, blessed be the name of the Lord. At all times, blessed be the name of the Lord. One more scripture, just the Apostle Paul. We know of all the different things that he went through, and he wrote this in Philippians 4, verses 11 through 13. You know these verses, but let's remind ourselves once again, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned, how key is that? For I have learned, 
And my heart will choose to say, see, I have learned, the Apostle Paul has learned, all that we might learn, that I might learn, in whatever state I am, to be content, to be satisfied in the Lord. In the midst of persecution, of trial, of pain, whatever it may be, may I learn in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. The valley, the mountaintop, you see. Everywhere and in all things I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens can you face a trial of life? Can you face persecutions? Can you, can you face the valleys that may be coming your way? Yes, you can. Not of your own strength, but in the strength of the Lord. Because, child of God, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I give thanks for your word and and our Lord, just thanks for the examples that you give us over and over and over in, the, in your word. That is just a mirror or a reflection of times in my lifetimes in our lives. When all we, we think we're ready. All we're, we, you know, we think we're ready for the next trial, for the next persecution, for the next whatever it is that may come across our plate that you allow. But then when it comes, how often am I like Elijah and run? So, Lord, help us. Help us all, Lord, to know you more, to know more of your great and precious promises that, that when trials come that we can stand firm and that we can act and respond as a child of God in the midst of it, that we would not fold up like a cheap chair, Lord, but that we would stand firm and secure and people could, could look at us and go, I, I know what they're going through. I can't believe they're facing this so well. Oh, that we, then we, maybe we could have a chance to talk to him and say, well, it's not me, it's the Lord. So Lord, help us to, help us to endure, help us to persevere, help us to be long-suffering. Oh, Lord, grant, grant me patience, grant us all patience that, that we may face things in the strength of your word and in the power of your spirit that is in us. So Father, we, we don't know what, we all may face this week. But I pray, Lord, whatever it is, we will face it in the strength that you provide and we will face it knowing of your great and precious promises toward your children. So help us, Lord, we need you. Pour out your spirit that, that, that we all might come to know you, Lord. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.